Hello and welcome to the Manchester City podcast, Forever Blue, with me, Ian Cheeseman. It's a weekly podcast. We talk all things Manchester City and it's brought to you because of the support of the Charles Louis Group, which is an advisory business advising on development finance, mortgage advice and estate agency. They started out life as a simple mortgage company offering buy-to-let, first-time buyer and moving home mortgages. They now provide support for the whole property transaction process, including an independent estate agent and an expert commercial financial team and a renowned mortgage team. And I have to say that a member of the Forever Blue group, who shall remain nameless, is currently exploring buying a house for a family member and has gone to Charles Louis, got their advice and cannot sing their praises high enough. So I can highly recommend that if you need any advice, if somebody in your family or you are moving house, need any support with mortgages, get on the phone to them, charleslouis.co.uk. You'll see the phone number. Um, they're based in uh, Ramsbottom. And Dave is the man who, who runs the company. He's a big blue. So I'll give him a call and tell him you spoke to me or you heard about it on Forever Blue. Now, um, tonight we're going to talk about... Um, Obviously, the current Manchester City team, which is as near perfect as I can possibly imagine. And so many things are going well for the team at the moment. And we will be joined uh, very much later in the podcast, right at the end of it, by uh, Colin Bell's son, John, who I did an interview with this week. It was Colin's funeral on Tuesday. And, uh, and I went along to that funeral. It was only limited to 30 people, uh, close friends and family. So I was very privileged to, to be there. Um, we had Russell Watson singing Abide With Me and Bring Him Home, which was very, very emotional. Uh, Alan Oakes was down there and Dave Watson, who we know has not been um, too well recently. Tony Buck, Mike Summerby did a eulogy. Um, it, it was um, a, a tremendous uh, send-off, not that any of us wanted to send Colin off at such an early stage, really, in his life. Uh, I was also down at the stadium uh, earlier in the afternoon when the hearse went round uh, the, the whole of the complex, which was a lovely touch by the club. Um, so it was it was all round an emotional day. So you'll hear from John a little bit later on, and I'll also be bringing giving you an interview, a little bit of an insight from Andy Dibble, former City goalkeeper, um, about what he thinks about City at, at the moment. So that's to come soon as well. However, the two guests who are with me right now. One of them is one that you will recognise instantly, which is Louisa, who's an absolute regular on the Forever Blue podcast. And also Adam P. We've got two Adams now in the squad, Adam W and Adam P. And Adam P is with us tonight. So thanks, guys, for being with us. Um, I have to say it was uh, emotional for me um, uh, this week with, with Colin. And then Ilkay Gundogan goes and bags two and has an absolute blinder against West Bromwich Albion, which I saw John, Colin's son, waxing lyrical about and saying how proud he was that the man wearing the number eight shirt had, uh, had been so good. It almost seems as if fate brought that about, doesn't it? I mean, Adam, as you know, as a, as a spectator, just like me, you know, you look at, at that and you think, is that, I mean, are you, are you spiritual? Are you divine? Do you, you know, do, do you believe in that sort of thing? But why would it be Gundogan who gets two goals and, and stars when we're just losing Colin? i got to be honest, I'm not spiritual. And I, that only didn't even occur to me. I only heard it in a post-match interview. It never even occurred to me that they wore the same number, if I'm honest, because it's all squad numbers these days. So, uh, no, I didn't, I didn't pick up on that at all, really, myself. Oh, that's put a damper on that then, hasn't it? <laughs> what about you, Louisa? 
Uh, yeah, I am um, a practicing Christian, um, and I I kind of feel like somebody can um, either be inspired by God and angels, or even inspired within themselves, and uh, to take a, a piece of magic. And one of the ways I can describe it to people that don't necessarily go to church or not really any memories of church is if you've ever watched Avatar, the film, and they have that like that ancestry tree um, that that they connect with and they link with, and that that you know no no nobody's forgotten. Everybody's here on this planet. You know we, we're all full of electrons. We're all full of light, and. Um, you know for that bit of light and goodness to come out of Colin you know is is within it's within the soil and it's within the air because the man existed and he lived a life and he created children and he loved and he loved the team he loved Manchester City and Manchester City loved him and Ilkay met him and knew him um, and I think that even to be wearing his shirt while Colin was with us and alive was most definitely an inspiration uh, to, to wear that number shirt a number shirt to a player is, is is you know it's either important if they choose it or it's important if it's given to them they find the importance in it um, and I have no doubt whatsoever that Ilkay felt Colin he feels him now um, as we all do. Well, City couldn't be in a better position at the moment. Um, nine wins in succession in the month, month of January. Uh, the first time that any club in the whole of the Football League's four divisions has done that in its, in, since its inception in the 19th century. Um, City have virtually conceded no goals. They've, they've breezed past most of the opponents they've played, almost without breaking a sweat. It's been, I mean, I've, I'm, I write a column every week uh, for questmedia.co.uk, which appears in a couple of the local newspapers in Thameside, and I tweet out a link. And I've used the word perfect um, to describe the way City are playing at the moment. Now, I'm very well aware of the fact that the word perfect uh, means uh, there is no fault. They, so, in other words, they can't lose. Nothing can possibly go wrong. And, of course, it can. I mean, you know, in, in the truest sense, it, no football club, no team, no, no performance is ever perfect. But to me, the City team at the moment, that they, the way that they play with 11 players who, when they get the ball, I look at a player and every time as I watch it, they take one touch and... As they get it, I think, well, the only the option is that player there. They control it perfectly. They've received it in a perfect way. The player before them has seen what the next pass is, which makes it even easier. Then they pass it on to the next player. And so it continues. It relies on every single one of the 11 players being absolutely at their very best. And this is the, the most perfect football in that sense that I've ever seen. And I have to now um, give a big lot of credit to Louisa because one player that particularly caught my eye and 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 it's been described as the sort of problem left back position because we've got Mendy who plays in that position we've got potentially Nathan Ake who plays in that position uh, we've got um, Laporte who possibly could play in that position uh, we've got Cancelo who can play in that position although really he's a right back but he can play at left back but Alexander Sinchenko, um, who um, Louisa has been singing the praises of for months on this podcast, 
Um, I, I was watching him, um, particularly against Sheffield United, but in all the games he's played, and he's absolutely one of those players who makes every correct decision, pr- controls the ball perfectly, reads on the, the pass after the pass. To me, he's a perfect pet player. So he is, and he's, he's the man now, isn't he? Uh, I yes, I'm glad to see other people seeing the light. I uh, talked about a lot about lights tonight. I've got some behind me, aren't they beautiful? Um, yeah, I think for Zinchenko, um, he came to the team, didn't quite get the uh, position that he was so used to playing um, and he didn't really have a place in the team. What he has done is he has found a place in the team and whether it be accidental, you know, there was hardly anyone to cover that position a couple of seasons ago. He came in, he covered it and what a turn up for the books he was anyway during those matches as a defender. Um, and, you know, what he said to himself was, I, I think, I don't know the guy, but what he might have said to himself was, I'm, I'm just a football player. That's what I'm doing. I'm playing for my team and I'm going to step up. So I'm not right at the front scoring all the goals, getting all the credit. You know what, though? I'm going to make it count. I'm going to make my life count because this might be it, you know? So that's what he's done in my view. And against Sheffield United, wow, what an amazing performance. He was crossing the ball, perfect placing, perfect weight, perfection into the box so the other players could just lift themselves up themselves up and almost score um, and then he almost scored himself through an amazing crossover his vision is incredible he if you watch him off the ball watch what he's watch what he's watching because he is watching that game he is watching that ball go around that pitch and he is following that ball wherever it's going and if he gets that chance to move it into the right place he's taking it perfect I mean on that subject I I'll admit that on Saturday afternoon as a journalist I was at Oldham Athletic watching Oldham Athletic come from a goal behind to win 2-1 cracking game and I recorded the City game because it was on at the same time and when I came home as much as I'd enjoyed the Oldham game I watched the full 90 minutes of the City match and the uh, level of control of the team was just phenomenal even though it was probably only played at two-thirds of the pace that the Oldham Athletic game was played at and if ever you needed a straight comparison between different styles of football you can almost and this isn't meant as an insult uh, to Oldham Athletic or Salford but that was the old way that football was played I know it was at league two level <laughs> you know so that's another factor but that was the way that was the way football used to be played the way City play the way Pep's team plays is just on another level I mean if I come to you Adam and 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 bring in the speculation that there'd been about Edin Dzeko or maybe even Diego Costa being late signings for City before the window shut. I was watching the press conference that Pep Guardiola gave on Friday and his, he was very dismissive, not individually of those players, just that he didn't need anything else, that he got what he needed. And I, the way I read it is that because this team is so perfectly in tune I think that's also a good way of describing it, that bringing in an Edin Dzeko or Diego Costa brings in a completely... They're, they're not used to playing that way. They're, they're, it, would, it might take them six months to, to get right. So to me, that, that would almost be more of a flaw in bringing a player like that in than the potential yeah. advantage of having a striker. What do you yeah. think, Adam? Oh, I totally agree. I would, I would hate to bring either of those two back in, to be honest. Um, I think perhaps... Pep's philosophy has always been when plan A doesn't work, 
the answer is more plan A. I don't think he, he's not a plan B sort of person. Um, he's, he said early on that he, if, if he could, he'd play a team full of midfielders and this seems to be the, the natural, you know, the, the end game of that. I mean, he's, we, we're not, we've not had an Aguero. Half the season, we've not had a Jesus. Jesus hasn't necessarily been in his best form for a lot of the time anyway. Um, but when we play like we played this week, you, d- you don't even feel like we need a striker, to be honest. I felt we've controlled those games. This, we've controlled those games this week in a way that I know it was only one nil, but it didn't feel like a one nil to me. I just, I just felt like we got the goal and then we controlled the game. I, I feel like if it was the the last month of the season and we were chasing and we needed points or we needed goal difference, we could step it up another gear. But we don't need to do that at the moment. And Pepper said all season that he just wants to be there or thereabouts come the running and give ourselves a fighting chance. And and that feels now exactly like it's come to fruition, that he's played it a little bit cautious in the first half of the season. We just started to rev it up a little bit. And even if Aguero doesn't come back for the rest of the season, you've got to feel like we're capable of going on and winning this league. Is Cancelo now your first choice at right back? Because at one time it felt like Kyle Walker had to be because of his pace. Genuinely, we play Cancelo just about anywhere. Uh, I, I don't even think when he plays at right back, I mean, he, he, he pops up all over the place anyway. I mean, I love to watch him play because he he plays at right back, he plays at left back, he he, he, can, he looks like he's playing midfield half the time. Um I would have him in the team. I would have him as one of my first 11, whether it's a right-back, left-back or, or anywhere, really. Isn't he a good example of what we were talking about there, though, that it's probably took him six months to really get into the sort of tempo and flow and mindset of being a Pep Guardiola player? Well, there's also, I think there's also the fact that when it's not going well, they all look, they all look ordinary. <laughs> and when it's going well, they all look world beaters. I mean, that's, that's part of the fact that it's such a team system, I think. So City not missing Kevin De Bruyne at the moment. Well, he just scored six goals and conceded none and picked up six points in the, in the, in this week. So let's have him back fit and firing in March and April and you know see if we can keep, pick up the points without him. We'll come on a little later on to the games that are upcoming because Liverpool, Spurs, Borussia Mönchengladbach, bigger challenges come. There's a, a game against Burnley this coming midweek, which is feels to me very much in the ilk of a West Brom or a Sheffield United and the type of teams that City have been, relatively speaking, brushed aside. I mean, be, if there are any non-City fans who listen to this podcast, they might say, well, you didn't brush Sheffield United aside, you only beat them 1-0. But I would still argue that, that City, apart from that late chance that Fleck had, which could have changed the game, arguably... That City were so in control of that. Um, you know, if ever there was an example of a team pacing its way through a game stroke season, that was City doing that against Sheffield United, wasn't it? Um, yeah, I kind of feel that um, that was one of the only games that I've not felt uncomfortable at 1 0. I felt very comfortable. I felt we were incredibly in control and was just thinking to myself the other night, you know, I'm pretty sure we've had the majority of possession in this. And within a few seconds, it came up on the screen, 96% or something. And I was just was like, oh, yeah, you know, I was on the right track. Um, I just, I, you know, I, I kind of think that it's this, this, 
he's definitely got a new system going and I'm going to keep pounding on this every single uh, pod that we talk about because not everybody listens you know to everyone not everyone's got time um but listen back and I keep going on he's changing he's changing he's not playing Pep when he first arrived Pep's playing a new Pep and Pep's been listening to this podcast and he's been listening to me to tell him to change stuff and he has He's, he's shifting players players were playing in certain positions for years so he plays there and you know sterling runs up and down the wing and then he passes it over there and then he comes up for it he stopped doing it he's now getting players to switch foden and gundawan switched about in the second half at some point i could see the switch positions zinchenko keeps switching with whoever might be on that side with him it's confusing the heck out of the opposition and um, um, it's genius because nobody can keep up with it. Nobody can mark a player if they don't know what the player's going to do next. We were becoming too predictable. That's why we were getting beaten. Um, we were keeping the ball for too long. That's why we were getting beaten. We're now back to one touch, pass on, one touch, pass on. Even if it's a bit slower, like it was against Sheffield United, it's still one touches. It's still, it's still passing it quicker than what they were passing it in previous games. Um, and this, if, if he can keep this up for a couple of seasons, we're going to win this season. We're going to win next season until everybody catches up with what we're doing again. You feel I think a massive part of it is... Yeah. Sorry, Sorry I was going to say, I think a massive part of it is, is Diaz and, the, and the, the solidity of those centre-halves now. Um, pushing, up, pushing forward of Gundogan means that the the sort of area of contention is around the opposition's D instead of around the centre circle. When you had Rodri and Gundogan sitting sort of south side of the centre circle, we were just we were just giving up giving up that third of the field. Now Gundogan is driving onto the edge of the box. Um, it's it's just taking it's it's just taking it to the opposition and it's just it's just keeping the ball away from the danger area for eighty minutes out of every ninety. It's great. Yeah, because one of the things that it, what was happening was we'd get the ball to the box and it was just sort of being passed around it, and you were like. What are you doing? Whereas now the ball's coming to the box and it's flying in and there are players on the other end of it. It's perfect. Brilliant. Diaz definitely fits the bill to me as a perfect component of this team um, in that, again, you very, very rarely see him put a foot wrong, a, a, a pass wrong, a, a reading of the situation wrong. And yet he does it very unfussily. I mean, there was a tackle or a recovery tackle. It was somewhere in between a recovery and a tackle against Sheffield United when he went to the byline. It might not be one that stood out in your mind, but certainly I, I noticed it, that he looked for a second as if he might be beaten, but he knew exactly what he was doing. He just dragged the ball up, but he didn't sort of drag the ball up and then throw his chest out. And, and, and I know there's no crowd there at the moment, but look around for admiration. He was quickly yeah. focused into where he was going next and on it went. And that, to me, epitomises what's good about City at the moment. Yeah. I don't think 12 months ago, you wouldn't have believed the idea that Laporte wouldn't get in the team. That was just, that was just inconceivable. And yet now we've got three centre-halves who I love. <laughs> and whoever gets left out of those three, I feel really sorry for because they're all, they're all just on fire, I think. And that's not even bringing Ake into the equation. I mean, I, I said previously that we needed to become more physical. 
we were being a bit too airy fairy for a few seasons um and i i can see it happening i can see us getting more physical gundawan's always been quite physical but there are other players that were still being a bit fancy about stuff um didn't look like they kind of wanted to to Grab, get that ball and keep that ball and even what Torres did that led to the goal uh, yesterday was um, was you know he was on the ground and if you look at the if you look there's a, there's a photograph from the other side which you can see their faces and the, their player literally has his hands on you know Torres is on the ground he's got his hands all over his arm he's whole, basically pulling him back holding him down um, and for that not to be a penalty I've got no idea what what needs to be a penalty if that wasn't one but he got up and then he was he had two players around him and he still got the goal, ball through and of course Jesus scored but Bernardo is also back to his best at the moment yeah. uh, Bernardo is he can have three or four players around him he's still going to have that ball by his feet by the time he gets out of that little scrum he's playing fantastically right now well, I promise you that we'd hear from Andy Dibble, the former City goalkeeper. Uh, now, I've got to tell you that there was a slight technical uh, difficulty with part of the interview. So you won't hear everything that, that I chatted to Andy about. But I can tell you that we, we talked a little bit about VAR and obviously Andy's still involved in coaching at Cardiff City. And um, you will remember that Gary Crosby uh, moment when the ball was headed out of his hands when he was at City in a game at Nottingham Forest and that goal would never have stood these days because he had the ball completely in his control in the, the palm of his hand and it reminded me very much of the the, game, the goal against Aston Villa when Rodri came from behind the Aston Villa player, nicked the ball away as he was bringing it under control, which we know now has led to a, a change in the rules, unbelievably, uh, by the Premier League. Um, but that, that, that goal now wouldn't have stood, but did stand. And Bernardo, of course, rifles it into the top, which is, which is all very bizarre. It seems every time um, something like that happens, it involves City. There's a, there's a whole rule change to try and make sure they can't do it again. But anyway, that's a different story. So that bit of the interview with Andy, unfortunately, um, isn't available. But he, he did, um, I think it's fair to say, um, feel a little bit um, like if that had been me in my day, that goal never would have stood. Um, so, and I understand that. But Andy Dibble was a, a goalkeeper who played for City. Uh, here's here's, um, here's what his thoughts are on, um, on on current goalkeeper Edison and where City are right now. What do you think of, of Edison? I mean, obviously he's a different type of goalkeeper for a different era. He's a Pep Guardiola goalkeeper. Um, what do you think of him as a goalkeeper as opposed to what we tend to judge him on, which is how he links with the team? He's fantastic, um, Ian. Obviously, he's incredible with his feet. Uh, I, I shouldn't really say this on here, but I'm going to tell you a little story about Vincent Tan, the chairman at Cardiff City. He keeps telling me that the goalkeepers have to shoot at goal. And obviously, over the years, he's seen downwind assisted back passes. And the Newport County goalkeeper, Tom King, scored the other week with a goal kick that was wind assisted. Um, so I'm working hard on my goalkeepers are trying to score from goal kicks, if you understand what I'm saying. But Edison would probably be the only person that could that could do that. I know he's brilliant playing out, but it's difficult to score direct from a from a goal kick or a back pass. But I saw a clip on him. And one thing you have to do is have great feet, whether it's short, long, medium range. 
but he he has everything and his, his save ratio is fantastic as well. He makes saves. I mean, the biggest thing I've noticed recently when he's been needed um, and had a quiet game, he has the ability to pull off a, f- a fantastic save. Uh, the, the best. I mean, he's up there with the best for me. I know things have changed from my era to this era, but, you know, he's top draw if I had the money. You know, I'd be looking to bring him into Cardiff City because although we, we play a different type of football, you know, I could say to the chairman, listen, I've got a goalkeeper here that can score from his own box. Do you think he's underrated sometimes? I mean, I know he's got the record for clean sheets this season, but you don't hear him being praised quite as much as, you know, Alisson, for example, at, at Liverpool. I mean, he yeah. seems to go under the radar a bit. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you there, Ian. I think um, he probably hasn't been as overworked as Alisson, but it tells you also how strong Brazil are in depth with uh, the number one and, and two goalkeeper. It also tells you how strongly this season in the last in the run of games recently how well Manchester City are defending so they're not only defending well as a team they're attacking well as a team which he's probably not make, having to make as many saves as he does hence if you look at Liverpool probably Allenson's having a bit more to do recently um, and everybody knows it's well highlighted that their defence has become unsettled and you know they've had, uh, had problems in that part of the field whereas last year they were obviously you know, very, very strong and they've lost a big key player in the centre half. But, you know, credit Edison, I think he's going to be around for a long time. What do you think this Manchester City team is capable of, Andy? I mean, um, obviously they're still in all the the competitions. Um, The Champions League is what the club, you'd think, would see as a priority. But are they capable of doing the quadruple? I mean, I know they did the quad with the champion with the charity shield, but could they do the, the sort of proper quadruple this year? The the, the league, uh, the league, uh, and the domestic cups. I've, I see them, you know, very very strong and, and continuing in, in this fine vein of form. It, it is difficult, sadly, um, without the spectators being in. It can become a good leveler. So it's going to play a part in it, then, do you think? That, that, that might be where it'll give maybe a Sheffield United or somebody um, an uprand. You know, obviously, we've seen that the results early on, there were some cra- you know, crazy results, weren't there, that you didn't, didn't um, predict. But Europe has been, I wouldn't say the stumbling block. Obviously, they've been knocked out at certain stages and they'd love to get to the final. But I would think that deep down, Pep will be really preparing them to to go as far as they can. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a big, big thing for them. At the moment, on current form, you know, I'd stick my neck out and say I think they can do it, but that's the one that's always eluded them, the European prize. As somebody who's still in the game now, you know, still active in the game, we've talked on the podcast about, um, the you know, what our opinions are really on football behind closed doors. I've attended a few. I was at the Cheltenham game in the FA Cup because I was covering it for Sony TV in India. That's the only City first team game I've attended. But I have been to Oldham, I've been to Stockport, I've been to Wigan Athletic, to Kers and Ashton, and I've seen games behind closed doors and it it feels strange, it feels artificial. Uh, My own view is that, and for people who work in the industry like you, uh, you might not like me saying this, but I don't think football should be being played at the moment during the pandemic. But how do you, do you, do you feel that what we're seeing 
is authentic football or do you think it's something less than authentic football? Yeah, it's very, very difficult without the crowd. I mean, there's some games I've turned up and I've you know, not been disrespectful to any teams that we've come across or ourselves in the Championship. With, without, I mean, we've got a good following at Cardiff City. When that stadium's full, it's a passionate place like the Etihad is. Uh, it doesn't feel the same. Um, I agree with you spot on. Um, for me, the sooner the crowds come back, the better. Uh, obviously, we're still in a very, very serious situation. Um, I heard you say about you don't think it should be going. Uh, it's a difficult one to answer that because I think people are somehow get you know are getting some joy from watching at home. Um, but I'm, you know, I have to go in every day, prepare my goalkeepers, go to the games. But I'm not enjoying it as much as with the spectators. In you know, from a personal point of view, you know, you have that from Thursday onwards, you start building in towards a game. But there's nothing better the adrenaline of what. Even opposition, you know, when you're playing away from home, getting off the team coach and seeing your own fans and the opposition, and you know, it, it's, it's got a total different effect on everybody now. So there is, there is a potential scenario here where City could win, could could potentially have their best ever season. I mean, that could happen, and yet nobody will have actually attended any of the games. And at the end of it all, I mean, maybe by the end of May. There'll be some freedom and maybe there will be parades. We don't know. But there is so much, so lack of engagement between the public and the football. It's like watching a film, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Um, and the other thing is you, you can't, you, you know, even as staff, you can't, you can't get your, your, maybe a couple of family and friends, you know, your close family. And it's, it, it is a situation that's very, very sad. And, you know, as we all know, hopefully it'll, Will return to some norm normality soon for the for the good of football and the good of people that genuine fans that do want to be in the stadium. Who were the city players then? If I, I know you, you're not going to be staying with us for a lot longer now, so let me ask you about, you know, your own favourite players from this season. Has anybody really stood out for you? I, I think um, when I look at it, I mean, we. It's, I wouldn't want to name one because going back to what we talked about earlier, it's been it's been a, a, a squad, a team game. You know, there's lots of players that come in and out, and I don't think I don't think there's anybody who's really I'd say yeah, definitely him. I mean, one thing I do um, have to mention before I go is uh, I like it when Rodri does well. I know he's not loved by everybody, and basically because four years ago I saw Spain under twenty ones playing in Mercia where where I have a holiday home. And there was a guy playing in front of the back four. And I thought, wow, he's some player. And I mentioned him to Cardiff City at the time. <laughs> and he was exactly the player we needed to do like an Aaron Gunnarsson type of role that we needed. And I'd phoned the chief scout. And at the time, I think he was three million quid. The next thing I know, six months later, I think it was, he'd gone to, from Villarreal to, was it Atletico? And then... A season later, he sold to he sold to Manchester City for I think 65, 50, 65 million. And I thought to myself, if only we had the three million quid in them days to to take him. Do you know what I mean? So he's probably one that you think, oh, he's not one of these that scores the goals and this, that, and the other. But I just took an affinity to him on that night. You have obviously got a lot of roots where you are now, and you were still working in the game for Cardiff. How how strong a bond would you say, as a former City player, you have with the club that that obviously we we're all fans of? Do you still is it still in your heart, Andy? 
Oh, yeah, every week. I mean, I'm like a little kid. I always look for the results. And, you know, I said I used to love going to the stadium when I, and, and being invited there and going out on the city stage. And because the, the, the fun and the enjoyment and the way they play football now is superb. And so many friends build up over the years. And it's, even when they say they talk about how it's become the, it's not likened to Manchester United when they um, talked about the prawn sandwiches, but. You know, I enjoy I enjoyed being back in that wonderful e arena and uh, coming and watching the games. Um, so special for me. I'm going to put you on the spot now and ask you one sort of final question. Really, um, have you got a favourite story about something that happened at City when you were involved, or something that you observed uh, at City? Something that you can share with our City fan audience? Well, there's too many to mention, but. I think um, it would have been after the after the night of Bradford. I didn't actually play the game when I think it was Bradford away when we when we came back and uh, I just remember sat, it was a, it was to be honest I shouldn't say it because it's a different culture now. That night we probably had the best celebration um, that people would ever have witnessed and uh, it lasted about forty eight hours without going to bed, even to one extent where I ended up falling in a puddle. But <laughs> but it wasn't a puddle, it was half a canal, so I, can, I cannot tell you any much more than that. <laughs> well, we nearly lost you in a canal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll shock you now because you say that celebration happened. David White and Andy Hinchcliffe, the following morning at nine o'clock, were with me in a studio at Hospital Radio where I was just starting out my career. Spent two hours in the studio talking to me. So at least them two... Had got their heads together by the Sunday mornings, <laughs> unlike yeah. you by the sounds of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd gone for a walk to try and sober up actually, and I'd ended up tripping over, so I got a little bit wet. But it always, uh, it always brings back that memory, you know. So, <laughs> well, Andy, it's lovely for you to join us and to speak to us. Um, as I say, I know you've got things to do, but thanks for taking time out. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. So that was Andy Dibble um, speaking to us a little bit earlier. I'm sorry to you two guys that because of the time limit, he had to go away to do some preparing for coaching and, and uh, training tomorrow for Cardiff. That so you never got a chance to, to speak to him. But you heard the interview. I mean, what did, what did you make of it, Louisa? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, he's a marvellous, wonderful guy. Um, and, you know, I mean, he did obviously go on to say that that, that decision back when he was playing was um it was quite controversial controversial and VAR would would have given a different uh, outcome from that and you know and he said that, that that he felt like that affected his career you know for for the next what do you say what couple of hundred matches he could have could have played on um and you know so it goes to show that VAR decisions are no VAR decisions can be incredibly influential on a player's career you know even today it can it can it can have an effect on whether they get to stay with a team or they get to play a match um, and I think that's probably one of the biggest controversies to it apart from the inconsistency because if you're affecting players careers like that then there's that has to be looked at now, towards the end of that chat, we, we looked ahead and I posed that question about if City were to win lots of trophies this season, how 
unusual that might be. Um, the way City are going at the moment, who knows, maybe they could win the lot. Um, it certainly doesn't feel as if it's beyond City's capability. How, how are you feeling, Adam, now with uh, this great run, nine successive wins in January, records smashing everywhere? Um, Pep has said, you know, the run will come to an end. They will lose games. Next weekend, it's Liverpool. By the time we do the next podcast, uh, next Sunday evening after the Liverpool game, where do you think it'll be? I mean, Liverpool have had a, a good win at West Ham uh, on the day that we're recording this podcast. They're four points behind, but City played a game less, so seven points potentially behind. Is it is the title race between City and Liverpool? Are United, United still in it? Is it a Leicester in it? I mean, where, where, do, where are you in your mind? With the, the usual caveats that this is this weird season that nobody really knows what's going to happen, I've, I've never thought anything realistically other than it's it's City or Liverpool that are slightly to come out on top. That doesn't necessarily mean they'll finish one and two because there are other teams having a good season. And I think City and Liverpool have both dropped off at parts of the season from where they've been a couple of seasons before. I think it's, to me, I want to win the league. I don't, I don't care about the other three trophies as much as I care about the league. And I get a bit annoyed when I keep hearing all these commentators saying about how City and Liverpool have dominated English football for the last three years, when City have dominated English football for the last three years and Liverpool have won one trophy. And I want to go to Anfield next season, take that game by the throat, put them in the place, go seven, ten points clear of them and go and win our title back. Do you think City should go to Anfield and attack and really go for it or should they try to avoid defeat? We're a better team than them, so we should go and beat them. Simple as that. Yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah, the yeah. fact that this game is being played in an empty stadium, City's track record at Anfield over the years has not been as good as it has been in other locations. If yeah, ever there yeah. was a year to go there and, and just ignore all that, this is the year, isn't it? Well, I think so, yeah. <laughs> but I think that every year. But um, I know it's difficult at Anfield. I think that the historical crowd is seems to get them the result they need most years, but... But that won't be there this time. No, no, <laughs> it won't be. Maybe you're the jinx. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Louisa? Um, I think that uh, we are better than everybody else at the minute. Um, every other team is having their on and off games, Liverpool included. You know, I mean, what, they, earlier on they were won 7 nil at Palace and then got beat at home to Burnley um, and just recently drew nil nil. you know, when United visited Anfield. So um, they're clearly drawable and beatable at the minute. Um, but then again, you know, we're, well, we're, we're not, yay, you know, fantastic. Um, but we are not untouchable. We're, we're still a, a team of human players. So I don't want to suddenly come across with some major arrogance and kind of say, oh, you know, of course we're going to go to Liverpool and thrash them. Um, but as a fan of the team and as a supporter of the team, then yes, we should step it up. We should pick up the pace. We should absolutely hammer them and annihilate them. Do you feel that will happen though? <laughs> it's all right saying that I, this, I hope this will happen, but do you think it will? I, I think one of the one of there's a word that kept repeating in my head uh, when we've been talking about the team at the moment, the way they're playing together as a team, um, rather than you know, well, perfect. But there's not that's not the word. The word to me is in sync. 
not NSYNC, not Justin Timberlake, but um, in sync. That's what we are right now. It is a perfect formula. Um, and that that's our cake, you know, and our cake is very tasty right now. And uh, let's let's go and keep that formula up. Have we hit the front too early, though? Oh, how can yeah. you hit the front too early? It's, it's January. We've not got long to go. What are you talking about? I mean, if this was back in October, then yeah, yeah, absolutely agree with you. But we're past Christmas. We've, you know, we're into January, almost at the end. No, this is it. This is what we need now to keep to keep it going. This is the final. Uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Like it's just a final run now, isn't push. it? Yeah. That, that's it. The final push. Yeah. I mean, there is, still, there is still a long way to go, and we, we have had uh, a fairly nice run of fixtures since New Year, and it is about to get a whole lot tougher. So I don't think anyone's taking it for granted that you know we're going to go romp away with the rest of the season. But I think most City fans would think we are we are the best team. We you know we, we're trying to make it three titles out of four. If we are the best team, let's just go and go and beat the team that thinks they're the best team. You know. There's a Sergio Aguero who's declared himself today, as we're recording this, uh, just a few hours ago, he declared himself clear of COVID. Presumably, he is now fit as well because he's had extra time um, to get himself right from the injury. Now, how he's been affected by COVID, none of us really know at this stage. You know, is he tired? Is it Because it shouldn't be underestimated, this. I mean, footballers tend to just have the 10 or 14 days off and then suddenly just reappear. And there'll be a lot of fans, and you can guarantee the journalists, because I watch every press conference, will be saying, is he back? Will he start? If, if you knew for a fact that Sergio Aguero had been physically unaffected by COVID in as much as, you know, he's, he's full of freshness, he's full of energy, and his injury's now gone away, would you start him at Anfield? I would absolutely, yeah. You would. Proven record. I don't think. Even, even though City's team has been perfect, you use the words, or is it an abbreviation? Anyway, in sync, right? Whatever uh, that yeah, is. Yeah, I think Aguero's in sync with any team that's ever played on that pitch. Hence his uh, goal tally. You know, he's been at the club a long time now, and he's played alongside many, many different. The, the team that was when he first started compared to the team that is today. How many players has he played alongside and gone through? He can in sync with any player on that pitch. Doesn't matter. The guy, the guy is as, is as unselfish as the rest of them. Um, he just happens to be amazing at scoring goals. So, you know, he'll, he'll go up with, with four of them and be alongside them. And then he'll get the cheeky one in, you know, right the last minute. Um, he absolutely still deserves a place on the team. He's still the, the best striker that this league has seen for many, many years. Um, I hope he is fit. I hope that he, he didn't have enough symptoms that have... Um, made him exhausted and tired because this COVID uh, seems to take everything out of some people, uh, including we bring it up often, the Formula One, um, you know, Lewis Hamilton, how much of a supreme elite athlete is he? And he struggled for about five, six weeks after he got over his COVID. Um, so if Aguero is a bit, a bit slow, a bit tired, then probably won't play a full game but you know what he needs to do he needs to get him on the pitch first get a couple of cheeky ones in and that'll instantly put Liverpool on the back foot anyway 
what I don't want to see is us go behind and then bring him on and then expect him to get the goals in because that's absolutely not on and not right. So let's get him on. Let's get a couple of goals. Let's sit comfortably um, and let's go and win that game. Where do you stand on well, that, Adam? We've got to play Burnley first, haven't we? So yeah. he needs to, I mean, if he wants to start at Anfield, he's got to play 45 against Burnley, surely. Um, and, I, and we know he's a slow he's a slow starter when he's come back from time out. So I think realistically, you know, you'd like to see him get 20, 30 minutes against Burnley and then then maybe he's fit to play 45 against Liverpool. But I'm still being positive and saying that we're doing all right without him. And although he's Sergio, I still think we can go there and 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 win with with him on the bench and um, you know, win without him starting. Yeah, I mean, obviously we don't know the situation, but my instinct would be go with the sort of team that played against Sheffield United to Anfield and yeah. Sergio stays on the bench. You know, that, that would absolutely, as much as I love Sergio as much as anybody, I think that would be my position, I suspect. But it's impossible to predict Pep Guardiola's team sometimes. I suspect that that is the way that he will go. Now, we heard from Andy Dibble before, and I did promise you that in this podcast we'd hear from John Bell, Colin Bell's son, who I talked to on uh, Friday about his memories of his dad and um, how the week has gone. And I think he wanted to pay tribute and thanks to the fans as well this is only part of an interview you want to see the full in see the full interview because it was recorded like we do these days on zoom so i could see him and you can see him it is on the forever blue uh, youtube channel so go there it's about 16 or 17 minutes but this is about eight minutes of that interview of john bell talking about his father colin who of course um sadly we've lost in the last couple of weeks Dad never saw the limelight. He never looked for publicity. Um, he wasn't considered a celebrity in his eyes, so that made him very normal to us. So just like any um, any father, really. So he'd always be fully committed to everything that he did. So if he wasn't a footballer, we'd be proud of him, whatever you know he chose to do in life. Um, and yeah, you know, he, he obviously massively enjoyed his football. Um, but that was a career before having family. Um, when my sister and myself came along, that was towards the latter stages of his career. So we knew him first and foremost as, uh, as an amazing dad and great person. Um, and then going to matches with him, obviously, we knew that fans held him in very high regard. Um, but I walked into the Colin Bell stand with him on many occasions, and he never... You know, he never realised that that stand uh, carried his name because, you know, there's never any, um, uh, you know, he'd, he'd stand in a queue like anybody else getting into the stadium and go through the same security t- security checks. Uh, sometimes he'd be asked for his ID going through the, st- the stand and he'd never question that. People were there doing their jobs and, you know, he was very humble with it. Um, so I didn't feel any different. And, you know, you were at his funeral the other week and uh, sorry earlier this week and obviously the people around him at the funeral were you know very famous in their own right but you know they're very down-to-earth people and they were work colleagues at the end of the day um, so I don't think anything about the celebrity or the fame because um, he took that in his stride and it never impacted on our lives he protected us from it um, he made sure my sister and myself had a good education 
um, he would never use his name to his advantage and we would never do the same. So, you know, that's the example that he set. Do you think it's fair as a, people assume that your career in surgery, and you are a very highly acclaimed now surgeon, came indirectly as a result of your dad having several operations during the time of his recuperation? Yeah, what was the inspiration for that? Yeah, it was an interest initially because everywhere, we, whenever we went to Main Road, the first port of call would be to see Roy Bailey in the treatment room. Um, Freddie Griffiths was a physio before him. And I remember going to see Fred in St. John Street a long time ago and Fred started talking about dad's injuries. Um, so it's probably that relationship with Fred and Roy um, made me sort of stimulate my interest. I wasn't very good at football, so I was never going to be a footballer. Um, but I just remember those days well and getting interested in anatomy and it sort of grew from there. And I did interest in biology at school and it, you know, it's just various, various reasons sort of took me down, down that path. Um, but I remember the, the smell of going into the treatment room and, you know, always seeing Roy as he, Roy was at a funeral again this week. Uh, he's very close to dad because he spent a lot of his time with him in the, you know, the two years where he's fighting to get back from, from injury. In the end, his departure was during COVID times when everything was low key. I know a lot of City fans would have loved to have shown their respects to your dad. And the hearse went round the stadium and then a, a, a small a small funeral for family and, and close people. Um, do you think that's actually, because uh, I spoke to Keith, his nephew, who was effectively his brother really growing up, and uh, he agreed with me that perhaps that type of a low-key departure from this earth actually would have suited your dad and, and would have, he would have preferred that. Do you think that's true? Yeah, definitely. When we were, we were all sat together following the hearse and mum said that dad wouldn't have wanted it any other way. And, you know, to, to say that it was restricted to 30 people, we think actually if it wasn't for COVID, it would still, you know, still have been the same. Um, we are obviously had to appreciate other people want need to grieve as well, and that his influence was was wider. Mum said to me that she was never under the illusion that dad was just ours. He, we shared him with a you know a, a wider community, and we you know we felt a duty and felt obliged to share you know that occasion with people, but we also felt a duty to protect people as well. So. We and with Manchester City, who've been been amazing over this period, um, honoured him beautifully on that day. But again, we couldn't release details of the funeral until everything had finished, um, and that's just for other people's safety. But actually, for Dad, that's the way he'd wanted to be—just no fanfare, just to be around family and friends. And and it was a beautiful event, as um, as I'm sure you'll agree. Absolutely. You think there'll be an opportunity once all this is over for anything more on a bigger scale for, for fans to be able to celebrate your dad's life? Yeah, I'm sure there'll be something like that. What that looks like and when we're able to do that is um, is a mystery, isn't it, at the moment? So we're not sure when we're going to be out of the pandemic and it's um, uh, it will it's early days at the moment, so we'll feel more like a celebration at that time. You can't really feel like you can celebrate somebody's life at the moment when it's quite raw and, and quite recent. But in six months down the line, you know, things should feel different and hopefully 
City fans will have the opportunity to come out and to and to celebrate his achievements. They've been doing that already in different forms through social media and um, you know writing to the club and so we felt all those tributes and we've seen them all. Um, but it, what we missed, particularly at the funeral, is that ability to come together and to share stories, um, which is something that I think we all need as part of a grieving process to to share those occasions. Um, but I'm sure there'll be opportunity for that in the future. It seems quite ironic as well that Ilkay Gundogan, who's carried himself with a great deal of respect and supporting local charities, wears that number eight that your dad wore, scored two goals on the night of his funeral. He, he does seem to be the right man to be wearing that number eight right now, doesn't he? Yeah, there's been some amazing tributes and Ilkay um, has been in touch as have other players, but one of the nicest tributes came from the academy um, a couple of days days ago um, where every player that wore the number eight shirt from the under eights to the under 23s uh, sent a message, um, you know, expressing their, um, you know, their sorrow, that's passing and what he meant to them. So none of them have ever seen him play. Um, but uh, Jason Wilcox contacted me after just to say that that's the type of role model that they try and get the kids to follow. Um, so that meant a lot coming from a generation who who don't know anything of my dad in terms of seeing him play, but have been told the stories about him. And, and it's not the football side that's in, as important as the character and that humility that he had. And he knew football was a short career. And if those kids follow that example, then hopefully they'll have a, a successful career. But there's other number eights as well, like Tommy Doyle. Obviously, uh, dad was at Glynn's funeral not that long ago and um, was very close to Mike Doyle as well. Um, so he wears the number eight with pride. Um, so every player has been very respectful regardless of the number that they wear. Um, but Ilkay, particularly scoring his years this season, um, scoring more than he normally has done from midfield. So hopefully my kids think he's got new super powers from, uh, from dad looking down. Well, that was John Bell speaking about his dad. Um, I just want to thank Louisa and Adam and, of course, a little earlier on, Andy Dibble for being part of this latest Forever Blue podcast. Thanks very much also to charleslouis.co.uk, Chartered Mortgage Advisors and so much more uh, for being the supporter of this podcast because without them, there wouldn't be a podcast. And uh, if you're interested, by the way, in supporting the Forever Blue channels that we have the youtube channel uh, and the uh, podcast channel then i'm always looking for new people to to come on board at the moment the youtube channel doesn't have a sponsor per se and uh, so obviously if you wanted to get involved in that you could do so but in the meantime we look ahead to an exciting week burnley on wednesday Liverpool next Sunday. We will record a new podcast next Sunday evening. I've been promised that Trevor Sinclair will join us for that one. So that will be uh, very exciting to have Trevor on board as well. Um, but in the meantime, um, have a really good week. And uh, more than ever, 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 you know what? It's great to be a Blue. <laughs>